0: Thank you for listening to the TNLA Green Report. On this episode, we're going to bring you a handful of policy updates impacting the green industry in Texas. First out of the gate is the latest on H2B with my colleague, Andrew Bray at NALP and the negotiations that are ongoing in Washington. We'll also get you an update on the city of Dallas and their discussion on possibly banning gas-powered landscape equipment. There's more to come, so if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us five stars. We appreciate you.
1: Summers in Texas can be brutal, but the cost of protecting your people doesn't have to be. Not when you join the Texas Green Industry Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. With Texas Mutual, you'll get valuable guidance on how to protect your workers from the summer heat. Things like adjusting schedules so that your people can acclimate to the temperature gradually, and making sure your workers drink at least one pint of water every hour. Plus, as a Texas Green Industry Safety Group member, you'll automatically get a discount on your workers' comp premiums and have the chance to earn double dividends every year. It's a great way to protect your people and your business. To learn more, go to texasmutual.com slash texasgreenindustry.
0: Hey folks, and welcome to the episode. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you and recognize Landmark Nurseries for being this year's TNLA key contributor. They and all of our sponsors make our efforts possible. Now let's get to the update on the H2B program. At the end of June, Following almost a year and a half of effort on behalf of the green industry across the U.S. and our partners in other seasonal industries, H.R. 3897, the bill by Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar to provide a returning worker exemption, had almost 80 co-sponsors. The supporters were Republicans and Democrats from nearly every corner of the country, and this put tremendous momentum in our camp to secure better cap relief for 2023 compared to years prior. Now, focus on the House Appropriations Process, where the U.S. House creates the bills to fund the federal government. This must-pass bill usually includes important reforms to government programs, like the H-2B program, in the form of amendments. Our coalition worked to push for an amendment in this Department of Homeland Security funding bill, leveraging the support from Coyar's H.R. 3897 to override opponents of the program. This interview was recorded at the beginning of July. All right, Andrew, they have got Andrew Bray with NALP uh, on the phone here with me and we want to talk about some of the things that happened in DC this last week as it relates to H2B. There was a lot of moving parts and in, uh, TNLA members who have been engaged with our Legislative Action Center or have been watching our Working For You newsletter. They have seen um, the requests to engage your member of Congress on H2B cap relief, and specifically uh, Congressman Cuellar's bill that would bring back the returning worker exemption. Um, But uh, being where we are in the calendar year and this current Congress, an opportunity came up and we needed to press for uh, uh, an amendment in the appropriations process to make sure we have cap relief in place for the next year. Andrew is on the front lines of that and there was a lot of moving parts. So I'm really not gonna explain any further and let him dive in to kind of what happened
2: last week and and where we stand as far as uh, next year goes. Sure, well, thanks for having me again, Ryan. Uh, I think you're inviting me back for the first time in like three years, what took so long? (laughs) No, I'm kidding, man. It's it's great to be on the show and, and great to talk to all your members and, and our collective members as well. Um, yeah, we had an up and down uh, week last week, but I will I am happy to be on a report that, for the most part, I think it was was a tremendous outcome. Um, you know, we obviously think that the time is right to reinstate a returning worker exception. Trust me, that is our that is our end goal. We think it's the most pragmatic and politically um, politically palatable approach to solving this problem on both the right and the left. Here's the realities at play. <clears throat> We have some momentum. Everybody understands there's a labor shortage. The 4th of July is coming. I'm at a town where the 4th of July fireworks are delayed five days because they don't have enough labor. If there has ever been a story to more highlight that, that, that would be it. Uh, so we're going into this process. And just so everybody knows, we got 55,000 visas last year, right? Because we get this discretionary language. The only, the first step getting that discretionary language is getting language inserted into the house appropriations for the Department of Homeland Security. That, That markup happened last Friday. And so we thought this was the year to push forward on the RWE. We have this momentum and we're looking great. But here's the issue, the Democrats control the House and therefore the chair of the House Appropriations Committee is a Democrat who is very close with some of those constituency groups that are concerned with expanding the H2B program, particularly labor. And so we had in the queue a returning worker exception amendment ready to go and we got informed that if we move forward with that measure, because the chair can often offer what are known as secondary amendments to an amendment, that there was a chance—not a chance—there was a very high probability that poison pills are going to get added to the the bill. And by poison pill, I mean either something that kills it, or something that make it makes it so unpalatable that even if we had returning worker exception, a vast majority wouldn't be able to use the program. So what's the point of that? Okay. So because we have this momentum, and because we had um strong supporters like Representative Quare, Representative Pingree, Representative Harris pushing their leverage to make sure we get something we struck a deal and that deal was to get this discretionary language we have had in years past remember 55,000 visas this administration is ready to wheel and deal on that and we met with Secretary Mayorkas uh in late May and he wants to to make sure that these are getting here quickly so that was what we wheel, that we what that was one of the things we wheeled and deal for. We got language at it this time. There will be ability to forego formal rulemaking when a supplemental visa is released. That means when an announcement comes on March 31st to release, you know, another 35,000 visas, they'll be ready on April 1st, not, uh, you know, when the rule comes late, late May. And so that's a, that's a significant win in my group. But there's another component for the longest time we've been asking for big labor to sit down at the table and negotiate with us before the Judiciary Committee. And we had a commitment if we stood down from this. Um, that they are willing to come to the table and see if you can find a permanent solution. There's no guarantee we can do that, but that is a very positive step. And I'm optimistic we have a chance before the end of this Congress to permanently solve this problem.
0: So Andrew, it sounds like uh, taking a step back and looking at the 30,000 foot level, we got an amendment in place looking at next year, which means that at a, at a bare minimum, we keep the status quo, but it's actually not the status quo, it's slightly better. It means, but again, the administration can't drag their feet, and on top of that, we're also going to have um, you know, a congressionally overseen negotiation with the labor unions to try to draw down on a deal that works for both sides, but at the end of the day, gets um, more stable uh, hopefully, a returning worker cap relief for our
2: industry. That's correct, and I think. We don't know the exact confines of what, how this negotiation will go. Uh, we do know that we're gonna have a kickoff meeting here within is gonna happen sometime in July. Um, we obviously have a time frame to make sure this is done before um, the elections in November. Um, you know, I think you're looking at us asking for returning worker exception. Um, we're gonna have to talk, make some hard questions about wages and how we recruit and worker protection. Some things that I think we can get to, um, but these are things that we have to understand. This isn't an opportunity to go talk to labor and just get a returning worker exception. There's gonna be some concessions that we're gonna to need to consider as an industry and not just the landscape industry, all of our partners in the entire H2B Workforce Coalition. So this is no easy task, but legislation isn't an easy process. You you know you hear them making the sausage stuff and this is gonna get a little messy, but um, it's something we need to do on, on behalf of our members. And it's something that is much needed to see if we can finally reform the program.
0: And lastly, uh, the, for the rest of this year, the process going forward, what we just did this last week was the committee process. So if everybody remembers their schoolhouse rock, you know, there's several other steps before the bill becomes a law, right? And so uh, where, where are we going from here? Because we're, we're entering an election year, November is going to um, be tight with folks back in their districts wanting to run for reelection. And you're going to end up with a lame duck Congress. So where, you know, we're looking at, I guess, a, a, probably a continuing resolution that takes on um, parts of this language. Are we looking at an omnibus after the election? I know I'm asking you to look into the crystal ball a little bit, but give us your insight there.
2: Sure, and every time I'm asked to make predictions, I'm drastically wrong. But I think I'm going to be right <laughs> on a few of these things. So think of it like this. The government's physical year, so this bill we just passed, would be going into effect for FY23. And their fiscal year begins on October, October 1. Um, we are not gonna the, the House will pass all of these bills um before they go on August recess, right? Um, because these are just passed out of committee. They will pass the house and then go to the Senate. The Senate is not gonna pass these by September and we will go into a CR. When we go into a CR, what's in the FY23 language we did right now won't be in the CR. And the CR is continuing resolution. It just continues existing law. So what will continue, probably beginning October one, will be the existing discretionary language without this language that we got that makes it quicker. So that's unfortunate in that sense. But remember, the cap usually isn't going to be hit until sometime until November, or December for the first half cap. And that's going to be right around the time we're likely going to be trying to move an omnibus because there's two scenarios depending on how the elections play out, right? And so we'll do a CR from, you know, September 30th to most likely they, they like to do like December 5th. They won't have anything done by December 5th. So they'll bump it to December 20th. And then maybe we'll get some sort of omnibus right before, you know, Congress is flip over. Um, that's, I think, going to be the Democrats' goal. But the Republicans may decide we want to game this out and we'd like to try to see if we can negotiate something a little more since February. Ideally, that's not what we want. We want to get an omnibus pass. And I think that's what the Democrats wants. And if the Democrats can be aligned enough and give off, give up some concessions to Republican senators to get to the votes they need, then that's how we get there. Um, and so I do think we will probably have some resolution at the latest in February. And the beauty is, is if this passes in February, we'll still be good for the supplemental uh, second half capital with an April one data need. So that's the way I game it out. Um, I think there's disadvantages and advantages to both making sure it gets passed in a lame duck versus in what likely will be a Republican-controlled. Um, but you know, the outcome of the elections will really determine that, and we we'll ready for either scenario.
0: Well, for those who aren't familiar with the, the uh, congressional process, that probably was all very uh, confusing to you. So you have any questions, uh, don't hesitate to reach out and we'll answer those. Andrew, you're always a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for all the work you do with NALP and uh, and co-chairing the H2B Workforce Coalition at the national level, and really marshalling all of the seasonal industries across the, the nation to be working in
2: the same direction to get us H2B cap relief. Uh, thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And really, TNLA, you guys do some of the best work on behalf of this. So thank you again for your great partnership and all of these efforts.
0: As was mentioned, that conversation was the state of play from the beginning of July. Since that time, negotiations between our industry and labor unions are underway with the aim of securing long-term cap relief, possibly cementing the returning worker exemption back into law. We will keep you up to date on H2B as the conversation evolves. Now, we pivot to the City of Dallas, where the City's Environmental Commission is set to meet on August 10th to develop a recommendation to the City Council regulating gas-powered landscape equipment. What began as a debate over the use of blowers in the landscape industry and residential users has evolved into a conversation on regulating all gas-powered landscape implements. Those who follow these issues are likely aware that California recently banned the sale of gas-powered landscape equipment within 2 years. This clip is the city's commission's decision to move forward with a recommendation on gas-powered landscape equipment.
1: You know, with consideration from uh, multiple uh, medical studies and uh, peer-reviewed articles, uh, we agreed that there was a correlation with the use of those uh, that equipment and, um, and so at the bottom here, you can see that therefore the committee recommends that the environmental commission support a phased transition uh, from gas powered landscaping equipment to battery operated or electric hybrid equipment in an effort to reduce particulate matter and other pollutants that affect health and contribute uh, to poor uh, air quality. Uh, with that, we've provided some readings at the bottom of the, uh, the memo here. Um, and you know, so we're, we did not give a, a timeline for that, uh, that phased approach, but we are uh, wanting to open it up for some discussion amongst um, our commission here.
0: As you can hear from the recommendation to the city's commission, the debate on August 10th will be on supporting a phased transition to battery powered or electric hybrid equipment. As of yet, the commission has not detailed how they will support this transition, whether through bans, limitations, or just incentives. What is clear is that the landscaping industry is fully in the sights of the commission, and they intend for the proposed ordinance to have citywide effect impacting private companies on private property. Here's some more of the discussion from the meeting.
3: So I think this is a great direction to go in. My question is how we can enforce this on an ongoing basis. So that those people who are running, especially major landscaping crews, can know this is something that they need to cooperate with and it can be realistic and we can implement it over a period of time Definitely, because we've been down this path before with water conservation with commercial landscape crews. So that's part of it. Another part is that I think we might look at some creative incentives because that's been the Dallas way for a long time is to work from incentives first. And uh, one of the incentives that when we first began to discuss this a few months ago was to have a buyback program exactly. and buy people's gas-powered equipment and get people to make the transition in that way and find ways to get people to give up that gas-powered equipment and try equipment that uh, would not be in so intrusive or cause health issues. But I think we're we'll going to have to get creative in that way.
0: So whether it's enforcement of a regulation or creative incentives, landscape contractors in the Dallas region should be monitoring this closely. Initial feedback from industry has raised concerns about the availability of electric equipment, about whether the equipment is sturdy enough or the batteries possess the longevity to run in a commercial setting, and of course cost comparisons to the gas counterparts. Other industry members have questioned if they would have to bring generators to job sites in order to recharge equipment, purchase multiple batteries, or the cost of outfitting trucks with charging capacity. Regardless, green industry members should be aware that the city's commission is scheduled to meet on August 10th at 5.30 p.m. Individuals seeking to make public comment should register in advance. You can find more information at DallasClimateAction.com slash Environmental Commission. Okay, a couple more things to wrap us up on this episode. TNLA has been engaged with the City of Austin as City staff prepares to write a new Ordinance on Landscape and Irrigation. The Ordinance will regulate new single-family residential properties. Regulations considered by the staff for this Ordinance include the following. A potential limit on the size of irrigation systems, limiting the amount of turf grass allowed, restricting to certain plant types or grass types, requiring pressure-regulated irrigation components, among other things. The purpose of the ordinance, according to city staff, is to minimize water use in new residential developments as a source of water supply for Austin. However, the implications for the green industry involved in developments would be immediate, and other Texas cities may choose to model Austin's approach. Austin's staff is expected to write the draft ordinance over the remainder of the summer, and is scheduled to hold both public and industry stakeholder meetings in October on the draft language. An ordinance is scheduled to go to City Council in the spring of 23. TNLA members can stay engaged on this information by reading the Working For You newsletter that comes out every other week on Fridays. Additionally, make sure you're signed up for our TNLA Legislative Action Center. Lastly, I hope that you're planning to join us at TNLA Expo. An entire slate of education will be featured on Wednesday, August 10th, and the trade show will be open August 11th and 12th. Education will include regulators from the Texas Department of Agriculture as well as trucking sessions with the Texas Department of Public Safety. Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller will be speaking on the trade show floor with updates from TDA and will also be joined by USDA Assistant Secretary Oscar Gonzalez with an update from his agency. There's plenty to see and do there so make sure you plan to come by TNLA Expo August 10th through 12th in San Antonio, Texas.
1: You know, motor vehicle accidents are the number one cause of work-related fatalities in Texas. Even a minor accident can have devastating consequences for your business, which is why you need to join the Texas Green Industry Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. You'll save money and learn how to keep your employees safe on the road. Texas Mutual's extensive library of driver safety resources cover topics like seatbelt use, controlling speed, putting away cell phones, and avoiding driver fatigue. Plus, as a Texas Green Industry Safety Group member, you'll automatically get a discount on your workers' comp premiums and have the chance to earn double dividends every year. It's a great way to protect your people and your business. To learn more, go to texasmutual.com slash texasgreenindustry.